The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Welcome to those of you joining online. Those of you here, you look a lot different sitting down when I'm sitting down. I can't see you as well. Uh, So a little bit different service um, this morning. Um, Do want to encourage you to, um, if you have a question, want to encourage you to ask it. I want to kind of give a full disclosure here. I came down with a bug in the middle of the week, and uh, my head is just toast right now. Like, I, I'm full, full of medicine, so uh, there's no telling what I may say. Um, but we will rely on, uh, we will rely on uh, Pat and, and Rich to uh, correct me if I get too much medicine head going on. Uh, no, I'm not real, real worried about that, but I do, do want you to know that I am a a little, little off there. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, so let's see. Let me let me give a, a few opening statements about um, kind of wh- what we're doing. One, there, there's no like you. If you have a question, my professor when I was uh, doing my Bible degree in theology, he used to say there are no stupid questions. Somebody said this might be a dumb question. Matter of fact, we used to we used to just set him up, and everybody would ask, yeah, "This may be a dumb question, Mister Doctor Marbury." But anyway, he said there are no dumb questions. So there there are no dumb questions. Don't worry about that. This is uh, an opportunity for you to get uh, any question that you may have answered. We do have some. We'll start with. Um, this is not really a debate form, so like we're not trying to um, debate things in this uh, the next this week and next week. Obviously, we're a church. We believe in the Word of God. We believe the Bible is is true. It is alive and active, and so we're giving a biblical uh, response, a biblical worldview to uh, the questions that you may have. Um, even if you're here and you're not a believer, you, you may have doubts and you can ask a question. We give you the biblical response to what that would be. Um, and so just by way of like, uh, you know, the angle we're coming from. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let, um, let Pat uh, go first and he's going to talk a little bit about himself, a little bit uh, about how he found himself in this position. Then we'll let Rich Rich go, but let me say uh, to, to both of them publicly, uh, these guys are awesome. They've been an huge encouragement to me. Um, Pat loves the word. He's been somebody that uh, I've been able to bounce things off of. And a lot of times I'll get asked questions from the congregation. Uh, you know, a lot of times you guys will ask questions right after service um, when my head's sort of like spaghetti. I'm just kind of coming down off of that whole thing. And, and so this is kind of born out of a um, uh, you and I talking. And then Pat's got a little bit of a desire to, he's going to be launching a ministry around the church around questions. And we'll talk some more about that next week as well. But just to kind of give opportunity where any questions that people may have, you could come uh, on a particular night and and just spend some time discussing the Word of God. but And then Rich, uh, so so Pat's been a huge asset. He's in, in my group, leading the group now, turned the discipleship group over to Pat. He's doing a great job with that and real encouragement to me. And Rich um, has been coaching uh, the staff, been helping a lot with that, he, and he can talk a little bit about his background there. And actually is uh, kind of a lay pastor on staff now and comes to staff meetings and been a huge asset with helping with some counseling and some things like that. But that's kind of my perspective of you guys. I'll let Pat go talk, talk a little bit about yourself, how you ended up here, and, and then uh, we'll let Rich go. Excellent. Um, 
So I'm Pat Butler. Uh, I do not uh, work in a church setting for my uh, daily work. I'm a mathematician and statistician by academic background. I uh, work for a defense contractor, in, mostly in the intelligence space, doing threat intel uh, software design and uh, artificial intelligence. Um, I was with CIA, people maybe remember I, I talked, gave a, a talk here a couple months ago, and so I end up getting a lot of like, what's happening in the world type questions, and glad to answer those type things as, as, as well. Um, but in terms of how this came about, um, the discipleship groups, and if you're part of one of the discipleship groups, you'll know that we had a discussion around uh, gifts uh, for a number of uh, weeks at least, maybe as a month of spending time studying the gifts. And when we were talking about gifts, I, I enjoy teaching and, and, and studying God's word, but when I was really just boiling down to where does God regularly put me and I really you know, feel he uses me, it's lots of people have questions about all sorts of things in the Bible and what's happening. And I find that for whatever reason, they like to ask me those questions and God's helped me. Now, my dad, I, I give all credit to my dad. I grew up in a household that was, uh, if you know Deuteronomy 6, and if you don't, you should memorize those, you know, uh, first six verses of Deuteronomy 6, but it talks about it's probably the best lesson in parenting. And it's um, when you lay down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you, you know, wherever you are, you're always talking and, and responding and spending time. And my dad would just like, we'd ask him questions. And he, he to this day knows more about the Bible than anyone I know. And, and so most any answer I will give is almost a verbatim thing I learned somewhere when I was a kid. Um, and so that, that's my background. I am not with the CIA, although it's really <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I have uh, degrees in theology and psychology. I uh, have worked at a private psych hospital for in years, about a decade of my life. And then I wanted to move into other things. And um, I enjoyed being on staff before at other churches. My, I'm mainly in private practice now. And, and I also do some business consulting. I'm a certified industrial organizational psychologist, which just means I have an opinion. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> to boil it down. So uh, I love, uh, I, I'm asked and bombarded with either my past patients, my current clients, or even uh, in church with a lot of practical theology, you know, um, it, it comes about from how am I supposed to hear and discern the voice of God? And what if I get it wrong? And what does perfect love mean? How do I live up to that? And so I, I deal a lot of that in private sessions, and I deal a lot of that uh, just with friends. And my small group, they always ask weird things. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no, we're always talking. <laughs> and, and so I love the challenge of, of seeing these people grasping for understanding the nature of God. And I think today, all we want to be is open earthen vessels that are emptied out so that God's light can be shown. And even the curiosities 
that Sean talked about or the truths that we're looking for, for personal growth in, in, as a child of God. So that's really a goal I would have for today is to have God impart that through us to all of us. So Good. So um, again, as we, we'll, we'll jump into a question here in a second, uh, but I think it's, I think it would be important to, to mention that I don't, I don't know who said this. Um, somebody made it famous that the Bible, um, the Bible is shallow enough that an infant can get in and, and wade around and be safe, and the greatest scholar could never touch the bottom. Uh, and so there, there may be some questions you ask, and we're going to be like, I, we may have to be like, I'm not sure I have the answer to that. Um, it, it could be an answer. Some, sometimes there are some questions that the Bible is um, a little silent on, and we, we may give opinion about. Um, and then some, we might find ourselves in a position where, you know, man, we may have to pick that back up next week and do a little more study on it. Uh, and then we're, there may be, um, there may be, you know, we, we will give a, a kind of a position of where, you know, I will kind of summarize, try to summarize as I listen to these guys respond a little bit of, of where we're at as, as a body of believers. Um, we, it's important to note that there are essentials and there are non-essentials. Um, essentials are like, well, what do we believe about sin? What do we believe about mankind? Uh, who do we believe Jesus is? Uh, what do we believe about salvation? Uh, things like that. They're, those are going to be essentials. Um, and then there are non-essentials where people uh, make differing interpretations that aren't as uh, there's, there's, there's room for disagreement and still having unity. Um, and then there are some things that, uh, you know, you need to have unity on regardless, and there's, there's not really room for disagreement. And so just know that you may not agree with every single thing that we say, uh, and, and on some things that, that would be okay, but probably on others, we probably need to wrestle with it a little bit more to make sure you understand why the church lands where it does, um, uh, on some of these issues. Well, so, Jimmy, the, the reality on that is there's almost no way that we could be right on every single thing that we uh, think. Yeah. Because uh, there are hard questions in there. And, uh, you know, Paul commended the Bereans, a famous passage in the book of Acts, for, you know, not just listening to what Paul said, but going out and reading it for themselves and studying it and making sure Paul was right. And as soon as they did that, they realized, oh, this guy's right, and we did have our Messiah come. And so my, my strong encouragement is don't listen to anything that any of the three of us say without checking us out. Uh, but hopefully we present the Bible clearly and well uh, at the yeah, same time. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll jump off here with uh, this first question. You say, uh, why should I pray if God knows everything? If God is sovereign and knows everything, why should I pray? Well, I love to take uh, the book of Hosea when we talk about prayer and influencing God, and is there even an ability to influence God to change his mind? And first of all, God's nature uh, is, is eternal, it's unchanging, it's steadfast. And when we talk about prayer, uh, there's a passage in Hosea chapter 11, around verse 8, 
that talks about how God is so angry at, at his people, the chosen people, and they're turning away from him again. Once again, they're denying God, if that sounds familiar in your life when we've messed up. And he's about to pour out his wrath, and he's about to beat them down. And he's, I'm just going to smite you all, you know. And then there's this beautiful change in that verse that says, how can I leave you, Ephraim, which is a term of endearment for his people? How can I give you up? And he talks about the, this binding love that actually gives a, 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 us a symbol of God as mother as well, because it talks about the cords that tether a, a mother to a baby. And so per, what has happened, Hosea is interfering um, with this wrath by praying to, to God to forgive and give grace to his people and not destroy them and not have his wrath come out. And God hears that prayer and he says, I love you. You're, I'm with you. I'm with you always. And that, to me, is a wonderful description in Scripture of how one person doesn't influence God in our prayers, yet he hears our prayers, and he is reminded of, of our humanness and how he's made us flawed, and that he has this beautiful grace to impart to us. And that's our choice to receive. So, yes, I truly believe prayer has impact. And there's another flip side to prayer, if you want to talk about that. And that's about the relational part of prayer. I don't know if you want to speak into that as to why we are required to pray. Um, well, many people say that, that in prayer, it's much about God conforming us to him than us trying to you know, convince him of what we want. And I, I certainly think that's true. And that this question has, you know, this gets into the depths of the, the topic that I think is almost uh, unsolvable, which is if God's unchanging and God is sovereign and God knows the end from the beginning, which is all true. Like that's when I say if those, I should say since God is, because uh, yeah, those are all true about God. Then wouldn't the same thing happen if I pray about it or not? You know, it's, it's that same free will versus, you know, God's sovereignty argument that that permeates uh, a, a lot of the Bible, and um, you know, at the end of the day, this is the one where. Uh, I may give like the most cop-out answer of all time here, but when it comes to things like that, like both prayer and how it influences God, given that he's unchanging, or any of the issues with free will and, and uh, God's sovereignty, it appears to me that there are literally hundreds of passages that talk about God being sovereign and God knowing what's happening and God choosing and all sorts of stuff. And then there are literally hundreds of passages that talk about, you know, we need to believe, we, we are to pray, we're to do these things. And, you know, 
there have been huge wars over this. I mean, that whole Arminian, you know, uh, uh, Calvinist wars actually in Europe in the you know 1600s and stuff. At the end of the day, it appears to me to be both. It, it's almost impossible to reconcile in our human minds, and I'm left to say, God expects us to believe in Him, and yet He also knows what we're going to pray and what's going to happen. So I don't pretend to understand that, and there's many philosophers debated this a, a million times. At the end of the day, Jesus prayed, all the prophets of the Old Testament prayed, all of the church fathers prayed. Uh, they thought it was important, and they told us to do it. And, uh, and so why wouldn't I? And, and, um, <laughs> and Dan, Daniel's a great example exactly. of prayer. I, it talks about Daniel praying and sending help, um, and the angels were called, and they essentially apologized for taking so long to get there before the battle because they themselves were being waged war with demonic influences. Yeah, it took, it took what was it, 21 days yeah. for the, the angels to get to Daniel from the time he started praying. He and did not like, stop praying the whole did, time. How did that happen? I, you know, like, the, the answer is, we're into like a little bit of that profound territory where it's like, yeah, we need to pray. Uh, God expects us to believe, we're to obey, and yet he also knows what's gonna happen. Mm. And Yeah, I, uh, I think that part, part of our problem is we have a concept of God like he's you know, Aladdin's lamp, and that's what we think about prayer. We're trying to get God to do things for us. In reality, I, I tend, you know, I agree with you. It's, it's prayer is not about us changing God. It's about God um, changing us. And so, uh, <laughs> the simple answer one, you know, the, and the like you said, the Bible tells us we're to pray. Jesus said we're to pray. And so, why why should we pray if God knows everything? Because God knows everything and you don't, right? Yes. And so, it'd be a good reason to pray. It's like He would. Uh, help you to understand what you need to do in the midst of li living your life. Like that's what I found find so powerful about prayer and motivate. What motivates me to pray is is sort of tuning my heart into where I'm headed, what I'm doing, even what I'm saying. About it just kind of helps me get my attitude in the right place, um, even with the Lord. So I think the tuning of the heart. Is the important thing you said there. Yeah. Prayer is more about how God influences us in that time rather than us attempting to influence Him. So it is, prayer is, is not the bucket list thing you present to God. He calls us to prayer for relationship. How are we to commune with God if we're not in prayer? Yeah. How are we to know God more if not talking to the one we want to get to know? If I'm sitting there with the new client, I'm not going to do all the talking and not find anything else about them. I want to hear from them. I want to know yeah. them. And no, God you, wants you, to hear it, from us. And, and I, think, I think it's important for us to also notice, like, it could sound a little bit like, well, does that mean I shouldn't ask the Lord for things? No, no, you should. Like, we should ask for things. As a matter of fact, there will be some things that we ask the Lord, and we begin to pray about, and in time, he will change our hearts, and we will see we were wrong even in asking. 
And sometimes he will, he will grant them. And like, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm a blown away. I've talked to the Lord. Uh, well, I talked to the Lord about you guys. Um, I, you know, weekly I work through uh, the people who call this place home and I call your name out and, in prayer and ask the Lord to help you grow. And so when I see you growing, that, that's an answer prayer. I pray about things um, like uh, finding a, a car for faith. He's going out to college and my, we waited um, probably eight or nine months, and we just now bought a car, but we got a smoking deal, man. And I know that was the Lord, you know. We, we just waited, um, and, and so it was a good car for her. And, and so you see things that are answered. The Lord will give you things, and He will also change, um, you know, the desires of your heart in, in, in a lot of things, and that's a pretty cool thing to, to work through. All right, here's another question that was sent in. Um, as a, as a born-again Christian, I feel like I have a relationship with Jesus, but I never seem to be able to stay on the path. I do things that I know are sinful, and I ask forgiveness, but will there come a time when the Lord will get tired of me not being able to walk the Christian walk? Do we reach a limit with do-overs? The answer is no, you don't reach a limit with do uh, The end. That's, that's a simple answer. And, and I just, you know, um, Paul can be kind of repetitive in the way he writes some phrasing, but I, I love the end of chapter, or chapter 7 of Romans because that's basically what this person wrote. Um, Paul is saying this at the end of Romans. You can turn to it. I'm in chapter 7, verse 14. Um, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing to do good is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. And he goes on and on and kind of repeats the same thing, like 10 different ways of saying like, how long will this go on where I want to do what's right, but I keep making a mistake somewhere along the line? And he, he ends by saying, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's Jesus who sets us free. And then he concludes, so then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. Like I, I, I believe, I know what the Bible says, but I still do wrong things. I get mad at my kids. I, we got a new car, a stick shift. My son's learning to drive a stick shift. I've yelled sometimes in the past week. <laughs> Every time I got in the car, I said I didn't want to yell. I was gonna this time be calm, and, and yet I didn't, right? And so the point, then he says, but on the other hand, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. When are we set free? I think it's when we step into heaven. Till then, we will struggle with sin. Now, would I like to see a you know, progression towards greater holiness? Yes. Should we willfully just say, well, I guess since we all sin, we should, you know, but Paul answers that. 
Since we're forgiven of sins, should we just keep doing it just to be forgiven all the more? May it never be. So that's, that's my quick answer on that, or medium-length answer. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add? Yeah, I think that um, the wrestling match is a constancy with us, right? We, this isn't something new for God to say, oh, you're not over that yet? You're not over sin? Remember, he made us, and he made us beautifully and wondrously. And he also made us beautifully and wondrously imperfect. So if we're imperfect, is God's expectation for us to be perfect? Of course not. Again, the tenet and the nature of God is that he has relationship with us. So when we fail, what we think is failing, and when we sin, that's a, sin is defined simply as a separation from God. God is not going to be where evil exists. So when we, we, we come back, and that's where the power is, when we come back and repent from the sin, that is the power of love that God imparts to us through grace. And that is never-ending. It never, never ends that God forgives us, that God gave his son for us. We can never out the grace that God gives to us. And that's why he's sustainably there for us, no matter how evil we feel we may get. There is redemption, always redemption available to us. Yeah, First John, you know, can't leave this passage unsaid. First John 1, 8 and 9, one I had to memorize when I was a little kid. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you know, if you meet somebody who says they don't sin, yeah, they, they're wrong. Uh, they do. Uh, but guess what? He's ready there to forgive. Yeah, that's good. I, I, think the, I think the important thing I would notice is that it's about your posture. And it, it, one can easily get into a place where, like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. And they become, a, you know, they don't even think about how they live and using their freedom for themselves. That's no way for a believer to, to live for sure. Um, but if we're postured toward the Lord, he's going to show us things that reveal to us um, really the sinfulness of our, of our hearts. And what I have found that I'm amazed by is, I, you know, when I was 22, I, I fully surrendered to the Lord and I was, um, I, I was, you know, I, I quit doing a lot of things. I quit partying and the way that I talked. I mean, all that just stopped immediately. And I, I, I remember, though, during that period of, of my spiritual journey, uh, looking around at other people, and I wasn't a judgmental person, but, I, but at the same time, I think in my ignorance, I, I was a little bit because I was like, hey, I, I got over those. I've been set free from those things. And so I felt like I had really grown. Well, then the more that I've grown, like it's not the less sinful that I feel. I've grown, I'm closer to the Lord 
than I've ever been in my life after 30 years of following him. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced now in my flesh that I realize I'm a lot more wicked now than I was when I was in my 20s, than I thought I was when I was in my 25, you know, when every, I first Every surrendered. godly person I've ever heard speak on this subject who knows the word and follows the Lord as they get older says the same thing. I've heard that my entire life. You, yes, you got over the obvious things. You're not out, you know, whatever, do, doing, you know, wild carousing anymore. And yet you discover in your own heart kind of what Paul's describing there. I find that my flesh is continually right. drawn to sin. And, well, and, and I, think the, I think what you're saying, too, is the closer we get to God, the more sin and the ugliness of it is revealed to us. Exactly. Yes, and, and this is really important because that can, that can sound condemning, but it's actually a beautiful thing because the recognition of that becomes a greater celebration of the grace of God because you just go, I can do nothing. I, can, I literally have nothing to offer the Lord but belief. That's yeah, it. And like, uh, was it Isaiah who came into the presence of God and immediately falls to the ground and, you know, wretched man that I am, yeah. you know, and all this. And yes, if we get too close to God, we should. I mean, I'm not, but like, if we were suddenly in his presence, we would be even more knowledgeable of our sin is yeah. the, the reality of that. And I think the second part to that question that's, that's uh, asked uh, is, I am so aware when I sin and my sin can heap on me burden and guilt and shame, which is not of God. When we seek forgiveness from God, an interesting part of his nature, it says that he cast that sin into the sea of forgetfulness in scripture, which means he remembers it no more. So when we once again go before God and say, God, I did it again. Remember this sin over here? And we're like, nope, because I've chosen to intersect, to be with you, and give you free will. I've chosen to forget the past sins. So I'm looking at you coming before me in the now, not in your past. You've been forgiven of that. So what is going on with you now? And that's I think, is really helpful because we are saddled with memory of our past failures, our past sins, and God frees himself of that when we repent and seek forgiveness. Well, Ephesians 6 is the famous armor of God uh, passage. And the second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And, you know, another one of my dad's teachings uh, when I was a kid is that the reason you pray on that armor and if you look, it's past tense on the breastplate of righteousness. It says, having already put on the breastplate of righteousness. In God's eyes, because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross, right. our sins were paid for and forgiven on that cross 2,000 years ago. And so when he looks at us, he's seeing his son, not us. He's seeing his son's forgiveness. We're perfect, holy, blameless, and just before him because of Jesus Christ. 
And so when we pray on that breastplate of righteousness, we're really reminding ourselves something that's already positionally true 2,000 years ago, that our sins are forgiven. And that if we don't have that breastplate of righteousness on, what, what saddles us is that guilt, that feeling of I'm just not good enough, or even what was in this question, which is, well, does there come a point that's just, I, I can't seem to kick this? It's No, he paid for that 2,000 years ago. He's not looking and saying, okay, that's the 40th time. That's getting close to the edge here. So, and you know, the other danger is that you, you also are in danger of becoming self-righteous and thinking you do, you have arrived there. And that's, that's a terrible place to be as well, is that you're, you, you think you, you've got all your stuff together. Um, and those are the people that literally killed Jesus, right? It's the Pharisees. And so um, it's important to note that you can be on either. Uh, so, hey, we, we're, we're, we're way deep into our allotted time here. Um, we've dealt with two questions. We haven't had anybody ask from the yes. congregation. Ask questions. Well, yeah. I answer shortly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so. so the, and I'll try not to chime uh, in on everyone. The, the, um, the, the youth, just last night, I know because my son came home and asked a bunch of questions because they came up in a group. What about suicide? What about the Nephilim? What about this and that? Pretty much anything is open here. Our, I know our yeah. youth were all asking I do want to take just, a, just take one second to uh, thank our sponsor, Sports Clips, the Hearse. Um, thank you for this clipboard. <laughs> Kept that for a long time. Appreciate that. Uh, if you got a question, Sean's out there. Uh, anybody have a question or I'll jump back in. I've got some more that we can deal with right here. Anybody got a question? You have to have one. Something you've always wondered about the Bible. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Jimmy and I talked after service one time, and we were getting into, um, I was going back through the scriptures in Genesis related to the, um, the uh, Humble series, and I came across a point which really kind of struck me um, uncomfortably, shall I say, where uh, it talks about Ishmael and Isaac and um, how it was the way the reader would interpret that scripture would be uh, as um, uh, as Ishmael would, uh, Ishmael wasn't even born yet at the time and it was prophesied over him that uh, his he would become a great nation, be, uh, uh, he would be the start of a very, very populous people and, but his, the people that would come from him would live in enmity against uh, his brothers, which would be the, um, the descendants of Isaac. And so it sounds like there is a pretty negative connotation over what he is prophesizing, prophesying over his life. And you know, this, this Ishmael, he hadn't even been born yet. Uh, it wasn't his choice that he was born out of the union between Abraham and Hagar. Uh, and so Jimmy and I, we talked about, you know, we were talking, yes, this gets into a deep subject of the sovereignty of God and um, things. And I guess what I would like to hear is if the panel has anything, anything further to expound upon that uh, or some scriptures to refer back to, uh, to try to help understand that whole, gosh, is God in the business of, you know, 
decreeing negative things over certain people before they're even born. It's good. Did you guys hear all that? Absolutely. Anyone want to go? Yeah. Do you understand what he's asking? Oh, yeah. Well, jump in. You could so, tell you're, so, you're chomping at the bit. There, there's, there's, there's several good go examples Go get him, man. Let that boy go. Um, there's Abraham with Hagar has the son Ishmael, and yet the promise came through Isaac, who was born 13 years later. Okay? Very similar example, just a generation later, is Isaac and Rebekah having twins, uh, Jacob and Esau, and while they were still in, the, in their mother's womb, it says, God said the promise would come through Jacob and not through Esau. Uh, similar to that, you've got uh, shortly thereafter in Exodus, um, Pharaoh and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And you could say, well, how's that fair if God hardened Pharaoh's heart? And I would say the passage to go to on this, this gets back into some of this free will and God's sovereignty statements that I started with. There's a fine balance here that I don't think our human minds can fully grasp, okay? Like, I know God's a good God. I know he loves us. And I know he knows the end from the beginning. So how does that go with him saying, I'm gonna bless Isaac and, and not have the line come through Ishmael? Go to Romans 9 is the, the quintessential passage that talks about this. And, it, and I'll, I'll take up in, uh, let's see, verse 6 of Romans 9. Um, and, and he says, this is Paul writing, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but, and he quotes the passage being talked about here, through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. And he again quotes the Old Testament, this time about Esau and Jacob. At this time, I will, or no, sorry, this time about Isaac coming, sorry. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as, is, is, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And now Paul gets to the quintessential question. What shall we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? So he asks the question, how is that fair? That's, that's a fancy way of saying like, how exactly did that work? How is that fair? Is there injustice with God? And here is what Paul says, beginning in verse 14. May it never be, meaning, yep, there is no injustice with God. For he's, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. 
that seems like a very harsh answer if you really understand what he's saying. He's saying he, he had compassion on one and not the other. And he goes to verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? So you're going to say, again, yeah, that doesn't seem fair, does it? And then the answer that I wish Paul had a different answer, but this is what scripture says. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy? That is a harsh answer. It's the closest Paul got to outright. Was Paul smart? Yes, he's probably smarter than any of us in this room is my guess. And he, God seems to have revealed more to him than any, any of us in terms of how these all weave together. And he got all the way to the line of trying to understand this very question. And God's answer appeared to him to be, I'm a good God. I, it is fair. It is not unjust. But it is the way it is. <laughs> like, like, you're like, you just... And so that's a tough answer. Now, I think philosophically, if I try to fill in the gaps, I think this. Pharaoh initially hardened his own heart, and then later, God hardened it. Romans talks about how when we give ourselves over to sin, he eventually gives us to a fully depraved mind. If we repeatedly sin, we fall into this. If you look at Ishmael's life, if you look at Esau's life, they had many chances where they hardened their hearts and turned against God. So I think you have a mix of God knows what's coming, and so he just goes ahead and declares it. But it's also a, a, a harsh answer, which is all of us, all of us at, at are fallen creatures. We've all fallen short of God. Romans 3.23 tells us that. And he endures all of us with patience and has forgiven uh, some. And it's a tough question. I don't know what else you guys would add to that. No, it's, you did good. You got anything to add? Uh, I, no, I, I think that was great. I think we, we don't understand the mind of God is what that tells us. What we are called to do is believe in who God is as a righteous, loving <laughs> Savior, a God who has given us his Son so that we may have eternal life. And I think that when we come from that perspective, there are mysteries unknown to us. Remember, God is seeing all of time and all of history and intersecting at a point of our limited history with our limited understanding. And so I am, I am confident in my love of a fair, just God and also can acknowledge that while this seems to be something unpleasant, and something that concerns me, I also have to remember that I am limited in my perspective. Just like a parent has a greater perspective, why can I not go to this guy's van? He's got candy for Pete's sake. 
and you're like, you're five years old, don't go to the van, right? And so, so we have limited perspective. We think something good is there or something that's uh, right for us is right around the corner. And the parent knows that there's, that's trepidation. Yeah, and if you There's go on into there. Romans 9 and 10, he basically gets in more and more into Pharaoh, and he basically gives this idea that um, Pharaoh was responsible for denying Israel's release and for all the mistreatment he gave to them. And yet, God also at times hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so when the judgment day comes, that Pharaoh is going to be judged because he uh, was terrible a great oppressor to God's people. And yet, uh, and, and God's basically, or Paul's basically saying, and he's not gonna be able to argue that was unfair. So there's this balance between Pharaoh's doing it and God's allowing, and at times even causing some of it, and that's tricky, and that's where I, I agree. We just can't fully understand it. And there's when I was saying like Paul was a smart guy, he understood the, area he's getting into here. It wasn't like he didn't think, uh, I wish I could go ahead and write. Uh, like, and so here's exactly how the balance between that works. God didn't tell him. God instead told him, I'm God and I know how it works and you're not. And that's the unfortunate part of that answer. We get to the line all the way where the question's asked and the answer is, I'm God. Not me, the, the real God is saying, I'm God and you're not. And so there you have it. Steve, do you feel like that was, they answered your question? Yeah, because I, I remember talking to you about it a little bit and it was, you, you were asking specifically why God would bless something that he didn't, that I can't remember exactly how you phrased that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, what I would, one thing I would add to this, this whole thing is um, that we tend to, we tend to, act, we, we tend to think, well, it's, it's not fair that God even. Sometimes when people will be condemned, and we, we, we go, this is, it's, we ask the question, why would God condemn them, and that. The real question is, why would God save anyone? Yeah, that's it. That was kind of what I was getting at. We're all <laughs> vessels of wrath. Yeah, it's like, and and yet He has mercy on some. That's right. So the, the other part about this, and this gets into a very famous question: like, is polygamy allowed in the Old Testament? Because Abraham had multiple wives, as did a bunch of them, like Jacob and all, all sorts of things. And the reason I think it relates to this, and, and I'll, I'll tie the two together, is who was Hagar? He's, she's the mistress because, well, Sarah decided maybe I'm not meant to have kids, so why don't you go have kids with this, this uh, woman over here? And um, my answer to is polygamy uh, uh, supported in the Bible. The answer is every single time there was polygamy in the Old Testament, bad stuff came from it. Okay? So while it recognized the reality that it went on, it wasn't good. And so part of, I think, what happened with Hagar is also a necessity of, um, 
I'm not letting you have multiple wives and have everything turn out great, and there will be consequences to sin. And so, uh, I, you know, that, that may be unfair to, to Ishmael in the sense that, well, he's just the innocent baby in this, but, but Abraham and Hagar did sin in, in the, what they did there. And so that's just a, a yeah. secondary thing. But. Well, um, do y'all like this? You digging it? All right, good. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, we could go on uh, longer, but we got another service starting. So I'm going to ask uh, the guys to come forward, and I'm going to lead us in in prayer. Uh, and and if you have questions, you know, again, uh, a great way to get them to us: questions at overlandpark.cc. You can email that. Uh, any questions you have there, and, and maybe we'll pick them up. And next week we'll do this uh, one more week, uh, but. Obviously, the most important thing is uh, understanding of, of who Christ is and the gospel. And I think we've, we've been talking a lot about that. It's like the gospel is all about, man, we're getting something we don't deserve. Um, it's about grace and mercy. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is and withholding something from you that you do deserve, which would be the wrath of God. And so um, as we even deal with, it's kind of funny as we've dealt with every one of these questions, we sort of keep coming back to what, what Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary, uh, despairs from all of that. And so I do want to encourage you, um, uh, if, you if you'd like to pray about anything, there'll be people up front to pray with you. Um, if you have questions, um, now or in the future, you see these guys are great um, people to ask after service. Uh, sometimes, I'm, sometimes I'm not the best person to ask because I'm sort of kind of coming down from a real focused thought. Uh, and so right after service, I'm not always the greatest person to ask, but these guys are available. And like I said, Pat will be starting some kind of ministry in the future. But let's pray, pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for giving us minds to be able to wrestle with your word and um, just to dive in. And, and we thank you for questions, Lord. We thank you that you're not uh, a God who says, don't question. Like, like the more we wrestle with our questions and dive into who you are, um, the greater understanding uh, we have of, of you and even the deeper our faith goes, Lord. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for uh, Christian apologetics and, and systematic theology, Lord, that can help us to wrestle with some of the things that we struggle with in this 